0: Hello and welcome to the Decrypting Crypto Podcast. It's July 28th and this is Off Chain, your weekly recap of the biggest stories in Web3. I'm Matthew Halsbarby and I'm here as always with Austin Knight. How are you doing, Austin?
1: Doing well, Matt. How's the weather report from the UK?
0: Well, you know, it's uh, it's basically LA weather now in London, which is <laughs> a little cooler than regular London weather that we've become accustomed to. So, you know, it's getting a bit cooler. Uh, it's nice. It's just perfect. I feel like I just missed all the ridiculous heat wave that came yeah. from us, but it's uh, it's nice. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll bring you my regular weather reports each week <laughs> to keep you updated on, on the, 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 the climate situation. All
1: right, good. I'll do my best to pull in some Portugal stories. Unfortunately, none today, spoiler alert, but we do have some pretty interesting stuff to dive into regarding Lido. We also have a couple huge legal roundups that we're going to be talking about with big legal movements in the US and the UK. And then really interesting Minecraft story that Matt is going to cover. Minecraft is playing around with NFTs and taking some swift action. So all of that coming up next. If you're struggling to get your head
0: around the complexity of decentralized finance, I've something just for you. Decrypting DeFi is an online course where I walk you through all of the important concepts within DeFi and share step-by-step tutorials on how to start generating income from your crypto assets. Whether you're interested in this from an investment point of view, or just wanna better understand how things like yield farming, liquidity mining, and staking works, the course will have something for you. Head over to mhb.xyz forward slash DeFi to learn more. So our first story of the day, we are talking about Lido. If you're not familiar with Lido, Lido is the single largest uh, liquid staking platform. So you may have heard of Staked ETH they are the creators of Staked ETH. <clears throat> now, um, we're not gonna talk too much about what Lido does. I think if you've been following the the podcast even somewhat frequently, you'll have heard us talked about uh, what Lido does. Uh, I'm a big Lido fan, actually. Um, but what we are discussing is a recent governance proposal that was proposed uh, by the 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 Dow, um, and what I highlighted was actually that Lido is facing some relatively significant runway issues, um, and they had a recent proposal go out to sell twenty million Lido tokens, with ten of those million. Um, to, to a single buyer in Dragonfly Capital um, at a price of $14 million in stablecoins. They they anticipated that this sale of their uh, LIDO tokens, <clears throat> that's their governance token, LDO, would give them around about uh, an extra two years of runway, which they really need primarily to fund team and like marketing and stuff like that and operations. So that proposal was rejected unanimously and... There's more to the story than just this, which I'll dig into. But there was some big whale action, a lot of controversy. And then just, uh, you know, I was kind of just generally surprised in the the state of the runway of the, the Lido team right now. What is ultimately a, a pretty critical team as we come upon the much-anticipated merge that is hopefully still going to happen. Um, so, the, <clears throat> so when we look at the... Kind of overall uh, proposal. The proposal was looking to secure, and this is this is from the betum from the proposal itself. This proposal is looking to secure two years of operating runway for Lido DAO in stablecoins. This will ensure that. Lido and its core contributors are able to continue the important work needed for the protocol in the long term, and to flourish as an autonomous, self-governing collective. So clearly, a lot of the focus here is is around preserving runway, and there, there's there's a link that we can share out that uh, talks about kind of that that proposal, but. The team actually shared a full breakdown, which I just thought was interesting to look at, which gave uh, an overview of the annual like operating expenses in stable coins and also in uh, LIDO tokens. So they often compensate team members in a combination of stable coins and then maybe like a LIDO portion. Often think about that like the stock portion in either um, or options in a private company. So annual operating expenses, this includes team and some of like the, um, the operations costs was about $16.8 million worth of stablecoins and then 7.69 million LIDO tokens, which at today's price is worth around $15.5 million. Um, So the price has spiked quite a lot over the past few days, which we'll we'll come on to. So how is this funded? This is all funded from the DAO treasury. And that treasury is made up of ETH, staked ETH, and LIDO tokens. So each month, for them to cover the kind of stable coin portion and uh, of of their expenses, they sell ETH to kind of cover that portion, um, and then with the the Lido tokens, they just they distribute those directly, and but due to the price fluctuations of ETH. You know, as ETH is dropping down in value, they're having to sell a much greater share of that ETH to cover these stablecoin expenses, which is eating into runway pretty significantly. So if we actually saw a sub $400 ETH or even around that value, it could put runway into a pretty critical critical state close to between like one, to two years. So when, and, and the beautiful thing about all of this is we can actually view their treasury and all the assets that they hold at any point live. So I took a little look uh, about an hour or so ago, their treasury, they have 20,940 ETH, 5,165 staked ETH, and 157.5 LIDO tokens is at the time of recording. Now, coming down to this a little bit more, right? Kobe, one of the co-founders that's no longer actively involved in the project, He's a big voice in the crypto space overall. If you've listened to the Up Only podcast, he's one of the hosts there, which is great. He he kind of he conceded uh, in some of the comments around one of the Lido um, kind of governance proposals that Lido probably shouldn't have sold ETH. Uh, no, they should have sold ETH. Should I say to USD gradually during? Kind of like the drop in ETH uh, price, just to protect Runway. So uh, I'll quote, I'll read out his quote, which said, uh, "Not selling ETH to USD was an avoidable mistake. Lido should have sold ETH to USD gradually when ETH was higher. It was an avoidable mistake. Now they have to sell two percent of Lido tokens to compensate for that mistake. They should learn from that and hire a good CFO to avoid these mistakes in the future. They are actually trying to hire a, a CFO. So back to back to the proposal, right? It's sought to seek." Uh, sought to sell a chunk of around about 20 million uh, Lido tokens in total, uh, which has since been pumping in price amongst all of the kind of hype around the merge. Um, It's up actually around 250% in just the past 30 days alone. Um, And they're doing this to try and secure stable coins. Um, Now, the governance proposal was rejected by voters, which are Lido token holders. And the main concern here, which uh, I completely understand, was that 10 million portion uh, that was going to be sold to Dragonfly Capital, venture capital firm, they would actually end up owning one percent of the supply. But more importantly, and and this is from the, the the proposal, I quote: "The acquired tokens will be unlocked. This means there'd be no vesting period at all. So in theory, you know, this is a this would be a liquid purchase." And they could, if they wanted to, dump on the market at any time. I mean, as a 1% supply owner, they probably don't want to do that. But as we've seen from the major ripples in bankruptcies and liquidity crisis inside the VC space inside Web3, sometimes that doesn't always uh, come with options to do this. So, you know, 3AC, for example, were an early big investor in Lido. So we can see how that might play out. And one of the Dragonfly... Uh, partners kind of mentioned in in a tweet that uh, I'll quote: it's, "It's difficult for us to invest in illiquid token deals; hence, the no lockup structure of this deal." No shit, it's difficult for you to invest in illiquid <laughs> token deals because you want it to be. Of course, anyone would want it to be liquid. Um, so yeah, you know, it, there's there's that piece. Um, but on <clears throat> when it comes to like the the piece around. The, the proposal as a final note on this, right? That there were three options for voters that were displayed on the snapshot proposal, which you can, you can look at yourself right now. So the options were, uh, in, in, in vote of no, it says no proposal needs work, or you could be for the proposal, but keep, keep it as listed, but with a one year lockup on tokens, or you could be for the proposal, keep it as listed with a no lockup. And so The no proposal needs work option was, by the end of the proposal, voted in favor of that, so the proposal didn't pass, by 66.61%. Gained a clear majority. Quorum was achieved uh, in in the voting. But, you know, for the longest time, it was 99.35% in favor of no proposal needs work, right? So it was basically nearly everyone had voted in favor of no and then this one whale comes in with fifteen million Lido tokens of voting power to vote for, uh, vote in favor of the, uh, the the proposal, and to have no lockup option, just to swing the vote closer towards that. You know, this just highlights to me, again, governance plagued by the issues of whale voting power and. While this proposal is not passed, I think there could be a revised proposal, they clearly need to figure out some runway. um, And I think it's going to include like a lockup, which is probably going to be more palatable. But Austin, this just shows the difficulty of like balancing the needs of the protocol, preserving runway, running a business, right? With the views of the DAO and having these enormously powerful whales that can come in and vote. Ironically, what the proposal is also serving, right, is creating another giant whale in Dragonfly Capital with the fact that they would own one percent of the supply, and as such, one percent of all voting power. So, you know, it's a very difficult dynamic. To, but I thought this is a very interesting kind of case study of of uh, of looking at all of these different issues that that teams are facing, building and uh, in this space.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I I think that like the whale factor here. It, it really played out to be quite bizarre. Like, as you mentioned, Matt, there was that first whale that came in and went against the grain with the uh, four keep as listed, no lockup vote. Mm -hmm. Later, they actually, after there was all kinds of outrage and everything, changed their vote to four keep as listed one year lockup, right? So that will (laughs) did change their vote. So they were still voting for the proposal to succeed, but okay, we can do the lockup, right? What's interesting is that later that vote was actually trumped by another whale (laughs) that came in and voted with 17 million LIDO tokens to cancel the proposal altogether. So actually that end percentage of 66.6% of votes opting for no was really also facilitated by another whale peddling against the first whale that was for. So yeah. um, it's basically yeah.
0: decided by kind of two to three entities. And, and that's, I think, the problem in governance across the board is a lot of people's criticism is that, you know, most governance proposals are predetermined almost by, you know, b- before they're even published. Uh, and that that is a real big challenge uh, that, that's faced but yeah we'll see how it plays out i uh i love lido i think it's a great team i think they've built something truly valuable within the 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 crypto space and um i hope that they kind of get through some of this i do say i, I will say you know like i think there's a, an element of hyperbole in their runway issues um but I think that it's 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 good to see a team like that being really transparent in their their full breakdown of team and expenses and things like that. But uh, yeah, we'll keep uh, we'll keep tabs on it, and see how that that story evolves, and keep everyone updated in in uh, future episodes. All right, let's jump into
1: our second story of the day with your legal roundup. Certainly, over the past several months, but even for longer than that, albeit I would say. Definitely, the collapse of Terra played a significant role in this. The West has been struggling with crypto, and even more specifically, stablecoin regulation. Sort of waffling back and forth, trying to figure out what the position is. How can we regulate it without over-regulating it, or you know, potentially leaving the poten- the the possibility that something like the collapses that we've seen over the past couple months could happen again. And A couple recent steps have happened in this realm in the U.S. Recently, a U.S. stablecoin bill was actually pushed out until after August recess. So uh, this is a slowing of the stablecoin legislation in the U.S. specifically, although we will talk about some other legislation that that touches on stablecoins as well. But this bill in particular is aiming to require that stablecoin issuers like Tether and Circle would maintain one-to-one reserves of their stable coins in circulation. We can think of many recent cases where this legislation would have perhaps uh, prevented <laughs> some, <laughs> some negative outcomes. Um, it would also limit the types of assets that could back these stable coins. Mm. So yeah, it's interesting. It was initially expected actually to move forward this week, but it was delayed after reports that Janet Yellen, who is the US Secretary of Treasury, um, and the person who was a deer in the headlights <laughs> when, yeah, uh, when Luna, the terror yeah. collapse happened. Yeah. Um, Ray, she, she raised concerns over how the bill handles custody of digital assets. Actually, another my, my favorite recent Janet Yellen Um, reference is that she's trying to redefine what a recession is. So, I don't know if you've been following any of that, but it's like... Recession
0: innovation. We can do it bigger and better this time.
1: (laughs) Uh (laughs) Yeah, yeah. No, a recession recession is not... yeah, we're we're not in a recession. It's it's not two quarters of negative GDP growth. It's something else according to this group of economy. Yeah. So anyway, um she did raise concerns over how the bill is handling custody of digital assets. So specifically, this US stablecoin bill that is looking to maintain one-to-one reserves and limit the assets that could back stable coins, that has been pushed out until the the, the uh, August recess has finished up.
0: However- I think, that, I think that's interesting I, I think the piece that's interesting that, that you mentioned there, right, is I, I can't imagine many people are against the idea that we should have regulation in place around maintaining reserves. That on its own though, you know, it can put bad incentives in place. You imagine there's like, uh, you you know, we'll look back to the 2008 uh, kind of debt crisis and how putting measures like this in place could create another situation like that if we're not actively having regulation on the types of assets that can back these up. So that's at least good to hear. We'll we'll see how that plays out, but yeah, you go ahead. I know there's
1: a lot more that we're gonna dig into, Austin. Wow, there really is. It's interesting, the CFTC, which is the Commodities and Futures Trading Commission, that is set to sort of oversee crypto is in some ways kind of battling it out with the SEC to see who's going to get to regulate what and who has more power and influence. And in the latest movement in this realm, they've set up a new office of technology innovation, and this is going to replace their fintech division. And it will give CFTC staff the chance to rotate through and gain experience in crypto. At least that's how they're bidding it. That's about all that we know about this right now. But what's relevant about this is that the responsible Financial Innovation Act, which is not the legislation that we were just talking about. It's a separate house bill. Um, It would have the CFTC oversee fungible digital assets, which are not securities. And that is interesting because it's Mm. actually a change to the status quo where the SEC has classically been the de facto choice for crypto regulation. This is you know, and a case where the CFTC is actually pushing to take on some more responsibility. And we can kind of see that coming through with this development of a new Office of Technology Innovation and and um, the push for this House bill. But the SEC isn't totally backing down. Um, they've mm. recently launched a probe into Coinbase over what they're alleging are securities listings. Specifically, they're investigating whether Coinbase let U.S. residents trade Unregistered securities. And this to me is really the big interesting story that's come out of the US over the last week or two. Because if you remember, last week, I think after our episode published, the DOJ and the SEC charged a former Coinbase PM with insider trading. And that that was was, Yeah, that's a pretty big deal for like on multiple different levels. But let's just go ahead and lay out like what happened with this. Particular charge. And then we can go into the implications for the SEC, the CFTC, and really crypto and securities regulation going forward. So, what the DOJ and the SEC are alleging is that this former Coinbase PM, his brother, and his friend made $1.1 million on insider information regarding upcoming token listings on Coinbase. So, basically, this PM was getting information about what future tokens were going to be listed on Coinbase. We all know of the Coinbase effect. Like once a token is listed on Coinbase, it typically tends to go up in value. So he would get this info before the token gets listed and then him and his brother and his friend would buy. Uh, that token on another exchange prior to its listing, and then they would benefit when its value goes up once it's announced that it's listed on Coinbase. And they alleg- allegedly did this with at least 25 cryptocurrencies. And the SEC is saying that at least nine of them were securities, according mm. to them.
0: Now, it's interesting to see that... Um, <clears throat> the, I, I wonder how whether the SEC would have actually kind of done this probe into the alleged securities listing if it wasn't for this insider trading piece because yeah i kind of looked at some of the the tokens that were listed in that nine and it wasn't super obvious to me as to why those specific nine things like that so but i uh i i felt like an example was being set to, to Coinbase alongside this, but it's a big, it's yeah. a big deal, really big deal. Yeah.
1: I, I think that that could be one way of looking at it. Another would be like, you know, uh, pursuit of a catalyst to uh, clamp down on Coinbase because a lot has mm-hmm. been said in the past about Coinbase trading securities and listing securities. This isn't the first time that the right. SEC has sort of pushed in that direction. And it wasn't ever previously clarified that, Any of these 25 or nine were potentially securities or that explicitly what this PM was doing like was a form of insider trading, but we are starting to see precedent set by the SEC to go after insider trading in the crypto space. In fact, if you'll recall, last month, an open CPM was also charged Mm -hmm. with insider trading and NFTs. And I I think this is, it's a little troubling, actually. Uh, And I thought that Senator Pat Toomey, who of course is very prominent in the crypto regulatory space. We'll talk more about him later, but I I thought he addressed it fairly well on Twitter. He said, hey, yesterday's enforcement action, it's a perfect example of the SEC having a clear opinion on how and why certain tokens classify as securities, but they failed to disclose their view before launching an enforcement action. And I'll quote him here. He said, the SEC's regulation by enforcement approach to digital assets poses a serious challenge for any well-meaning innovator, who's striving to comply with existing laws and regulations. Providing regulatory clarity prior to enforcement would benefit regulators and investors alike.
0: So I, I, that is just, you know, I, I as, as someone who is in, uh, in a team working in Web3 right now and has to continuously try and navigate the challenging landscape of basically having no frame of reference for regulation and trying to build and innovate in the space where you're basically your main fear is that the rug is going to come from underneath you. And all of a sudden, like a previous, like held opinion is going to change. And then there's going to be like regulatory risk. It's really challenging. Um, I, I, I welcome like regulation here but i think it's just it's just all fits and spurts it it would be great that there was like a more ongoing dialogue and we 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 had like better places where this could be kind of rolled out i will also say just a side note from also being in this space and seeing how like behind the scenes of how other teams and projects exchanges in the space run i can tell you that there is just a horrendous amount of corruption and insider trading that yeah. definitely goes on. Um, so, you know, there's, uh, there is definitely two sides to this. It's a real, it's a challenge yeah. to be addressed.
1: Yeah, there certainly is. But of course it needs to be addressed in a fair and responsible and transparent way where mm-hmm. you give good actors the opportunity to comply with the law and, and right. don't, you know, legislate as, as to me, put it, legislate, or regulate by enforcement, um, you know, taking a sort of reactionary approach and then setting an example for everybody else, while you know people are getting indicted. Uh, I, I think is kind of a, a reckless uh, and unfair way to handle this. And Mark Cuban had some interesting things to say about this in a reply to Pat Toomey. He said, quote, think this is bad? Wait till you see what they come up with for registration of tokens. That's the nightmare that's waiting for the crypto industry. How else do you keep thousands of lawyers employed and create reasons to ask for more taxpayer money? So, yeah. of course, Mark is taking a you know somewhat cynical take here. But he he does have some experience with this. In that same tweet, he linked to a video of him seeking guidance from the SEC on insider trading rules back in 2014, where he was ex- really just expressing frustration over being pointed to rules for filing a no action letter that were from all the way back in 1980. And they weren't very- Ah, current, yes. The birth of
0: Bitcoin. <laughs> the birth yeah. of Bitcoin 1980. Yeah. Yeah. Great. <laughs> we remember those years fondly. Uh, yeah, exactly.
1: Um, And he had a quote in that video that I thought was really relevant. He said, this is certainly not going to help any normal individual who's thinking about buying stocks in the market. It's not going to help them understand insider trading, and it's not going to give them comfort that they're doing all they can to not break the law. And I think that's really the crux of what's happening here with these particular legal actions and, and charges. But nevertheless, the SEC is going to probe Coinbase. They're moving forward with that. And so, back to that, you know, aside from this uh th- this the legal cases that are underway right now with these individual PMs and their friends and brothers and everything like that. Those nine tokens that the SEC believes are securities, they were listed on Coinbase. And actually, seven of them are currently still listed. So the when when I say those nine tokens, I'm talking about the the nine tokens that the the PM was yeah. uh, trading that they felt were security. Seven of them are still on Coinbase. And that's really what this probe is about. So how would the SEC determine whether these actually are securities, Uh, they're actually going to apply something called the Howey test. And really, this is a set of standards that an investment must meet in order for the SEC to consider it a security and regulate it as such. This is something that was created by the Supreme Court to determine whether certain transactions qualify as what they call investment contracts. And This actually includes many familiar investment instruments like notes and stocks and bonds. All of these things sort of fall into those, categorically speaking, securities. And the SEC would consider a token to be under its purview when it involves investors pledging their money to fund an enterprise with the intention of making profits from the efforts of that organization. I know that that's like a really complicated way to, to sort of lay this out there, but I'll break it down. So basically, if, a, if um, a, 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 you have an investment contract or a security, it means that that investment is subject to certain registration requirements by the SEC. And generally, all securities offered in the US have to be registered with the SEC. So what are the implications of that? Basically, the company that's offering the securities would need to disclose certain information, like a description of their properties and business purpose, a description of the security that's being offered, information about the company's management, financial statements about the company that are certified by independent accountants, all of these things that you know provide transparency to the SEC and the market at large about how the company is operating and uh, what is you know what is involved with the security? What's backing it, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but of course, that's a really expensive, laborious, bureaucratic process to mm. go through. So tokens aren't going to want to meet those requirements to be under the SEC's purview and thus have to disclose this information.
0: So well, it also it also really limits as well the the kind of individual that can can invest in many of those tokens. If it's a security, there's certain ways that you can do an initial offering. Like we saw with um, ICOs and the ICO boom that happened, certain tokens were registered as securities. I I can't remember if this is actually correct. I know that a couple of tokens did this, but I'd want to say Filecoin maybe did that. And then they had to only um, let... Uh, accredited investors be able to purchase uh, things like this so there were there are a lot of like big um, implications that come with this. Obviously, the big costs. The irony behind a lot of this is the fact that you probably spend just as much, if not more, proving you're not a security by just getting like legal opinions from like every big law firm across all of the major jurisdictions. It's just like, I mean, we like we go through this a lot uh, as a team myself and stuff like that. It's just a huge amount of, of work that goes in. So, yeah.
1: Yeah, it, it is. It's an intensive process. And so now kind of all eyes are going to be on the Howey test and how it's applied. It's something that there is some precedent with regards to crypto, but I'd say for the most part, it's still unfolding here. Effectively, what criteria is going to apply to determine whether an investment contract is an investment contract or a security, or, you know, whether it's, it's not in terms of crypto is four specific criteria. One, uh, it is an investment of money. So this is the first criteria for whether something is an investment contract or security. Two, there whether there is an expectation of profits from the investment. Three, whether the investment of money is in a common enterprise. And four, whether any profit from the efforts of a promoter or um, third party is involved in the investment contract. So That second uh, if piece. Prof- Mm-hmm. You know,
0: that 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 second piece is the one that I think is the trickiest. I mean, this is all very subjective, right? Like, there is an expectation of profits from the investment. That is the uh, that is, I think, the crux of where a lot of like the the confusion and things like that go from. Because ultimately, you know, you most people that are speculating on cryptocurrencies. You could say there's an expectation of profit from from the investment, right, in one way, shape, or or form. However, what is the, the argument on the other side? I remember this from the the very early ETH um, uh, kind of case where they they were they were proved uh, by the or the SEC. At least came out to say they are not securities, and their core argument was the utility that is derived from. And in particular, as a as a gas fee on the network, and now obviously being burned, things like that. A lot of tokens that are used for governance voting have a have a token that's used, like we just talked about, Lido. L- the LDO token is used with a specific utility for governance and voting power. So it has external utility, but it's all just very vague, and there's not just like these hard, fast rules that that can be applied. I think that's the real challenge that we're talking about here, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Now, there is a final factor here that I think is worth mentioning, which is whether any profit that comes from the investment is largely or wholly outside of the investor's control. If so, then the investment might be a security. If, however, the investor's own actions largely dictate whether an investment will be profitable, then that investment is probably not a security. I think that this is also a large crux of uh, what the SEC is looking at yeah. and pushing on with regards to the Howey test. But what's interesting about this, as I mentioned earlier, is that there is some precedent here. Previously, the SEC has said that Bitcoin and Ethereum are not securities. Uh, but at the same time, in December 2020, the SEC did hit XRP, Ripple, with a $1.3 billion lawsuit. Mm. Um, so there is a lot of, you know, I, I would say, inconsistent legal activity here. Um, Last week, the blockchain based file sharing network library, which is responsible for that sort of decentralized blockchain based um, competitor to YouTube Mm. called Odyssey, they actually beat the SEC in court. The SEC was claiming that uh, library was a security, and um, there was a clear ruling by the judge that that it wasn't. Uh, you could probably make an argument that this was somewhat um, dubious, maybe politically motivated. I don't think mm. anywhere near as strong of a case as what the SEC may have against some of the securities that they're gearing up to evaluate with, cor- I shouldn't call them securities, cryptos that could be securities. <laughs> <laughs> I'm already buying <laughs> their, their, uh, their
0: book. <laughs> You've been too deep in the regulation, Austin. It's has got a yeah. hold of you. Uh, I think actually we may have, I may be wrong on this, but I think we may have even spoke to the library team at one point in like the second series. I know that they were based in Boston when we were both living there and we talked to the team and what they were building in the very early days. But yeah, interesting project. I haven't checked in on it in a while. I didn't actually know that they were even in a, an SEC uh, kind of court case battle. So that's interesting. I'll dig into that.
1: Yeah, yeah. It was a big undertaking for them. But like I mentioned, earlier, uh, I I do think that this has been coming for some time. Gary Gensler, who is the SEC chair, has previously said that Coinbase is listing quote, dozens of tokens that might be securities. Hmm. Of course, that has been met with a lot of opposition and pushback from Coinbase and folks in the crypto space uh but i don't think that this is going to be the end of the action that we see taken against centralized exchanges specifically or you know and in particular um very visible and and active exchanges like coinbase so we will continue to follow the action that is being taken against individuals and entities alike but up next we've got some interesting news coming out of Minecraft with regards to NFTs. Matt's going to cover that here in a bit.
0: The news that Minecraft has come out with a statement to say that it is banning any kind of integrations into Minecraft, the the very popular uh, kind of consumer game, Um, arguably one of the original metaverses, if you look at it like that, albeit not a decentralized one, um, for NFTs. They're, they're, they're not allowing NFTs to integrate into Minecraft. Why is that news? Why do we care? Well, the uh, there's a pretty high profile meta proj- uh, metaverse project called NFT Worlds. It's created by Mojang Studios, uh, did a pretty significant initial mint of their, their NFTs. Uh, they raised several million dollars um from their their initial mint and the nfts uh were were kind of were used in that for use in their minecraft linked metaverse so the, the the short story here is you know nft worlds they created nfts that tied to uh world seeds which can then be used to create minecraft worlds using kind of the main like base game client um so people were really excited about this and there was going to be this like big intersection with this enormous player base inside minecraft that dwarfs any of the player bases um inside web3 today and it's like a big bridge and um so they, they did this big raise and then all of a sudden minecraft announced that it would ban any integrations of nfts into its platform so that was Obviously not bullish for NFT worlds, uh, and I'll just quote one of the things that uh, they they said in a in a blog post that they released on the Minecraft website. <clears throat> they said, "We have these rules to ensure that Minecraft remains a community where everyone has access to the same content. NFTs, however, can create models of scarcity and exclusion that conflict with our guidelines and the spirit of Minecraft." I, I must say, I. I I do, I, I really see where Minecraft's coming from here. I think it's really difficult to integrate into what they've already built and create this like new layer where you've just got like these assets that are all of a sudden scarce and have a play a different role with like the Minecraft game. I mean, I'm, uh, certainly a huge proponent of blockchain-based gaming. And I was struggling to see how this would all play out. I thought it was super interesting. I was excited for it to happen. But you know, I, I, I can see whether Minecraft team would see this as just too much risk to take on. Um, <clears throat> another good quote here was that I that I thought explained this a little bit more, right? So that they're alluding to NFT worlds in this. So they said, some companies have recently launched NFT implementations that are associated with Minec- Minecraft world files and skin packs. Other examples of how NFTs and blockchains can be utilized with Minecraft include creating Minecraft collectible NFTs, allowing players to earn NFTs through activities performed on a server, or earning Minecraft NFT rewards for activities outside of the game. Each of these uses of NFTs and other blockchain technologies creates digital ownership based on scarcity and exclusion, which does not align with Minecraft values of creative inclusion and playing together. So there's a very clear, strong stance from Minecraft on this, right? And as you can imagine there was a monumental sell-off in the NFT world's NFTs on secondary markets. I was looking at OpenSea uh, just before we started recording. And uh, I think overnight, the, the floor price went from a little over four ETH to just over one ETH. Uh, their, their token, I guess this is like a in-game token. I could be slightly wrong, but it's WRLD, um, the main NFT world's token. It tanked by a little around 70%. On this news, um, and here's where here's here's the piece that I think is definitely the most shocking, in my opinion, of all this. Right. So, upon this happening, the NFT Worlds team they shared an announcement in their Discord. We'll we'll share this because they screenshotted the the, the link and tweeted out so everyone else could see it as well. And upon hearing the news, they said that the announcement came out of nowhere and that their working to get in touch with the right decision-makers at Minecraft. And they said that if there's no way around this decision, they'll have to pivot. My big question here that that has come out of all this is how on earth could a project like this build an entire game, infrastructure, economy around Minecraft, sell millions of dollars of NFTs and their token ultimately, and not have clarity on Minecraft's position on NFTs? nor a direct like account manager uh, and like connect with like a senior decision maker inside the company. It is unbelievable. Austin, from like our perspective as people that have worked in like Web2 and just know the kind of process in place for partnerships, can you just like ever conceive even beginning down a path like this without having contracts, reassurances, legal set up, like all, it's just unbelievable to me.
1: Oh yeah, I mean, I would have really expected that they would have a direct line to at least a handful of contacts at Mojang Studios, the developers behind Minecraft. Um, it's a, you know, you, I I think that your point about millions of dollars of tokens, just like the you know the, the 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 level of capital involved in something like this, you know, it's not like it's some small sort of passion project. Like it's there's like some real weight to this, right? You would expect that, um, there would be some type of collaboration there. I mean, just, you know, from personal experience, like, uh, for example, when I was at Google and I was working on Chrome, um, we would build the Chrome browser for iOS and we had direct lines to executives at Apple, um, who we could speak to. And it's not like they would, you know, reveal their roadmap to us or anything like that. Um, but we would, you know, show them what we're planning on doing and what we're thinking and then kind of get their blessing, their thumbs up or thumbs down or, you know, oh, maybe like you shouldn't go in that direction. And then legal we would just team, everything it. like that.
0: It's just, exactly. It, it, so many people involved, right? And you, you you, just have a constant line of communication. I, I even think like at Decentral Games, right? Like we're in Decentraland. We have a shared Slack instance with the Decentraland team. We speak to them every single day, before we make even the most tiny insignificant decisions that just might cause an issue in the future. We just drop them a line. We're like, hey, what do you think of this? Is this gonna cause any issues? Like, wh- wh- what do you think? And we would just hold off until, and like, this is like tiny decisions, right? All the way through to big ones, but unbelievable to me running this. I, If I was part of the, the NFT Worlds team, and I just sold millions of tokens, uh, millions of NFTs, millions of dollars worth, sorry, of NFTs. And I knew in the back of my mind that we had no contract agreement in place, not a lot of good comms in place. I wouldn't be able to sleep at night. I honestly, I have no idea how I, I would just be sweating continuously. So <laughs> yeah, th- this is the kind of thing though, that actually really does um create big issues in trust in the industry and i think people I, i've seen like some takes that like how could minecraft do this like what are you talking about minecraft are well yeah. within their like uh remits to do this why would they take this on um so yeah i think it's going to be an interesting one to follow i i do feel for people that got in early there and bought the top i i can't see unless some kind of magical turnaround or pivot happens that getting much better but being conscious of time let's dive into the the next story of the tale, or at least part two of our extremely exciting legal roundup.
1: <laughs> Let's take a quick hop across the pond to the UK. Well, as I mentioned, Austin, I'm greeting <laughs> <yes>. you there. <laughs> oh, it's, so, it's so sunny, so warm. <laughs> <laughs>
0: you know, it's the LA of Europe. I've been saying it. I've been saying it.
1: Uh <laughs> So yes, as I mentioned at the top of our legal roundup, we do have legal news, not just on the US as we covered in our first segment. But also on the UK, here to kick off our second segment of a legal roundup. Uh, Yeah, a lot has been happening in legislation over the course of the last week, and the UK government is no exception. So first, they are taking steps on making stablecoins a form of payment. This is kind of exciting. UK government is going to be introducing a bill that will set out specifically how stablecoins may be used as a means of payment. And this actually follows the Treasury's plan to explore ways to Improve the competitiveness of the UK tax system regarding cryptocurrencies. Study the legal status of DAOs and launch a market infrastructure sandbox for digital firms in 2023. So kind of exciting, Um, Matt. I imagine that you uh, you know have some opinions on this. It's I I know that the UK has classically taken a little bit of a what they call a light touch approach. To uh, crypto and stablecoin legislation, looks like this is going to be laying some interesting groundwork. Yeah, I'm.
0: I, I'm really welcoming this as someone that obviously accepts payment in cryptocurrency. Uh, you know, it's there, there's such a lack of guidance that globally, right, on on this. But the more, um, the more kind of clear guidance even less like regulation, just like guidance is really important here because I think one of the things that is definitely the case, especially in the UK and a lot of Europe is banks are ultra sensitive to anything crypto related. And I think it's because, you know, that they're just risk off, especially in market conditions like now, especially in a lot of the PR that's been happening around the liquidity crisis, things like that. So I think this is going to really help. Um, And I think what the UK is trying to do here is give infrastructure, give guidance and, Ease some of the concerns that what we were talking about. Builders, innovators in the space, come in with a bit of guidance so that they're building on stable ground, right? And they're not just consistently worried about, oh, wait, are we, are we doing something that's breaking some kind of regulation, like or uh, laws, even in just like the most innocent sense? It's difficult to, to know if that's the case. So yeah, I think that'll be. A good step forward. I mean, we'll see. I, I don't have much faith in the UK government. I will also say that. So yeah, <laughs> we'll we'll see what happens there. But something is better than nothing in this respect. Actually, uh, even yeah. if that thing is not great, at least you know what that thing is. So I, I think yeah. that's one step towards this.
1: Yeah. So. There's also a UK law commission that has proposed changes to clarify how property laws apply to digital assets in England and Wales as well. So we're getting some potential clarification on crypto property law. Uh, this involves recognizing a new category of personal property that they're calling data objects. Uh, it Catchy. also. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's very broad. you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it begins to address, though, uh, how the government could develop this specific property, the laws around ownership and control, and also the law around transfers and transactions involving digital assets or data objects. Um, among the implications of this classification is the possibility of setting awards or fines in cryptocurrencies. I'll take so- an
0: award. A Bitcoin award, please. Every year, being an upstanding citizen of this great nation. You know what I said about the UK government? Scrap that. I love the UK government, actually, if they're going to be throwing out awards. Uh, Something tells me that's probably not going to happen very often.
1: Yeah, (laughs) well... Okay so this is this is interesting to me and I guess this next bit it's it's kind of unrelated to the commission specifically but still kind of relevant like this deal with setting awards and fines and everything like that you know sort of bringing crypto into the legal case Space right. A UK judge actually recently ruled that individuals and entities can now be served legal documents via NFTs. And I think we also hmm. saw the same thing. We covered that like a couple of weeks ago. I believe there was a case in New York that yep. did the same thing. Correct. Um, so yeah, becoming a bit of a trend. I think we're going to start to see NFTs and crypto gain prominence in the courtroom potentially.
0: Yeah, I I'll I go back to like. When we were doing a lot of like our earlier interviews with projects in the space in 2017, 2018 on the podcast, and I do remember we, like a lot of the conversations we had with projects, the ones that we I think were having a lot of those like eureka moments with, with wow, this is really interesting, were a lot of like the legal firms where it was largely tokenized documentation, proof yeah. of ownership, things like that. So I, I think you know, there's a lot of like over-enthusiasm sometimes about, oh, people are going to be served legal documents and NFTs. And there's just like, you know, people just spin off stupid headlines about it. Like it's <laughs> right. But, um, I think that it's a great step towards just building new levels of infrastructure and compatibility with these kind of, uh, assets. So it's great. It's great in my opinion.
1: Yeah. All right. Heading back to the U.S. after our quick vacation in the U.K., we have a bipartisan bill that is seeking to eliminate taxes on crypto transactions below $50. This is introduced by Senators Toomey. Pat Toomey was the person that we quoted earlier talking about the SEC and their sort of uh, regulation um, approach and also CINEMA. Um, So what this is going to do is it exempts reporting crypto transactions of less than $50 or trades mm-hmm. in which a person earns less than $50. There are similar bills that are also working their way through Congress right now, like the Responsible Financial Innovation Act, which would remove the obligation to provide info on crypto gains of $200 or less to the IRS, because currently mm-hmm. the IRS uh, regulations actually say that even the smallest of crypto transactions can amount to a capital gains event. So yes. this is interesting, I I think that this has the potential to, you know, maybe make it possible to, um, you know, have a personal transaction like buying a cup of coffee be exempted from taxes, which would really be, you know, critical to, um, you know, increasing the adoption of, of crypto as an actual usable currency.
0: It'll also be great for the GameFi space as well, where you think about like in-app microtransactions, like just, you know, like I want to just take an action that like you would on a mobile app in the regular Web2 world, like Candy Crush, right? Where I just like spend some tokens on like i don't know unlocking some feature of the game it's like a nominal amount like 10 cent like 50 cent or whatever it is or a dollar's worth right and you can do those kind of things without being like oh god what which i literally have to do is i have to account for all of these things inside a game in my tax return which is just mind-bogglingly inane and very difficult uh so i think stuff like that would be really great but also yeah like you say those real world transactions gonna help a huge amount
1: Yeah. All right. Last bit in our legal roundup. California has ended the ban on crypto donations to political campaigns. So the FPPC, which is the Fair Political Practices Commission, they sort of uh, regulate political donations has voted to end the ban on crypto donations to state and municipal political candidates so but i that's, wonder that's i wonder, wonder if thing. anyone
0: would be happy about this decision austin do, oh my do anyone gosh. come to mind i uh, yeah. you
1: know oh what about that that guy who's like bailing out the entire crypto industry and was the largest political donor to joe Biden? not the largest <laughs> one of the largest political donors to joe biden and wants to keep Trump from becoming president again, maybe, maybe, you know, I actually... What was his name? Was that Do Kwon? Is that, is that right? Our
0: favorite man, Sam Bankman-Fried. He is going to love this. This is great. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. So I, I actually, that was the first thing that I thought of too, Matt, is like the... The, the politicians in California had to start seeing the dollar signs once all those bailouts and political donations uh, were happening yeah. uh, across the industry and, and at the federal level. But that's about the end of where the exciting news is, because political mm-hmm. campaigns are still going to have to immediately convert any crypto donations into U.S. dollars. So this isn't like, you know, so there's the no hodling or yes, exactly. <laughs> that's exactly correct. Um, and then the payment processors have to be registered with the U.S. Department of Treasury. All campaigns are going to have to have adequate KYC procedures. And then donors, just like any other political donation in the state of California, are going to have to provide their name, address, occupation, and employer in order for it to be a legal and valid donation. So it, really the gonna only change here.
0: This yeah. is going to be huge because, you know, <clears throat> I think, uh, and I don't know whether it's good or bad. Uh, I don't really, uh, I need to think more about my, my take on this, uh, but you can imagine a whole host of of lobbying DAOs that could spin up off the back of this. Um, and uh, it could be very interesting to, to see how this all plays out. I imagine the Republicans aren't overly delighted at, at this, so we can, uh, <laughs> we, we can see some uh, interesting headlines probably being spun up on Fox, I imagine, but uh, the, we'll, we'll see where this goes. But it is going to be interesting to see how this all plays out, um, and I'm sure SBF has a lot to, to discuss on the on the topic but let's leave it there for the end of the day this is a bit of a bumper episode we dug in a bunch it's been a huge amount of like really interesting stuff on both like regulation governance things like that austin as always it's been an absolute pleasure to discuss it with you from the other side of the world and i will see you around next week (laughs) talk to you then matt